Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord with you on this Wednesday evening. Still rejoicing over what God did this past weekend. And uh, But I don't want to just float off of that. I, I want God to touch us again. I woke this morning with my eyes open. The Lord dropped a word into my spirit. And it's times like that that I cherish because many times I'm asking God, do you even know where I'm at? I need a word. And so I, I breathe a sigh of relief when God just rushes ahead of me and, and gives me a word. But, but I believe what I'm going to preach tonight is the key for all of us to step into another dimension. I don't say that lightly, but I believe if we've got an open heart, the Lord is going to challenge us tonight. You know, if a bodybuilder only works out with the same amount of weight for a year, two years, three years, he may maintain where he's at, but he won't grow anymore. The only way growth is happen, happens is when those muscles are challenged. And the only way we can ever grow in God is when we challenge ourselves or the Lord challenges us through the Word of God. And that's where growth happens. So I believe that's what the Lord wants to do tonight. First Kings chapter number 18. Good to see all of our guests with us tonight. Thank you for joining us from this Wednesday evening service. I believe the Lord wants to speak to all of us tonight. First Kings chapter number 18. And we're going to begin at verse 21, and I'll just kind of skip through uh, just to expedite the reading. The Bible says in verse 21, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. Call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Verse number 29, and it came to pass when Midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was neither voice, nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Verse 36, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Drawing your attention to verse 30, the Bible said, Elijah said unto all the people, 
Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. I want to preach for a little while tonight on the power of a proper altar. The power of a proper altar. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for this precious word. Without it, Lord, our lives would be so lost. I know tonight that you want to speak. It's only possible through that anointing, that power. I pray, Jesus, that every thought that would hinder, every thought that would distract, would be brought into captivity, and that there would be a moving of the Holy Ghost loosed in this place. Let everybody under the sound of my voice leave knowing of a surety that we have heard from God and we have been in the presence of the Most High. In Jesus' name, Lord bless you as you are being seen. Although I've never lived outside of the church, having observed those who have, I am convinced that living for God is still the best life someone could live. I I believe that with all of my heart. It's unique. It's rewarding. It's exciting. And on and on we could go. I believe that living for God is a privilege that sometimes, or in fact many times, goes unnoticed. It's a privilege in this fact that we get the opportunity to serve Him. It's filled with purpose in that there is a goal set before us and and it's full of power. It's the supernatural strength of God that enables us to overcome the enemy of darkness. I believe tonight that we should have a full understanding of the privilege we have been afforded. Regardless of how high or how low a person is, everybody has the same privilege of living for God. Money can't buy it. Degrees can't earn it. Pedigree can't inherit it. Living for God is a privilege. None of us deserve it. It is an extension of God's grace, an extension of His mercy, an extension of of his love. I believe we ought to recognize the privilege that we have. I believe also tonight that we as children of God should embrace our purpose. We should not fall prey to just coming to church. We should not just stumble our way through this thing we call Christianity, but we should embrace the purpose that God gave us. We should embrace the fact that that God wants us to be witnesses. He wants us to make a difference. He wants us to change our world. He wants us to step in and fulfill our purpose. So we should understand our privilege. We should embrace our purpose. But I'm convinced tonight that if they say one thing about a Pentecostal, they should say that they walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. 
Friend, we ought to walk with power. We ought to pray with power. We ought to sing with power. We ought to witness with power. We ought to preach with power. Paul said, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. Everything we do should be powerful. I know that life brings adversity. And I understand that things come our way that would drag us down. But you can walk through the belly of hell and still have power. You don't have to be on a mountaintop to have power. In fact, where we need it the most is when we least feel like operating in it. We need it. Power of God. I believe tonight that we can all agree on the fact that we desire this power. I don't think anybody in this building would say, you know what, I'm fine without it. I believe the common denominator shared amongst everybody in this building is that we crave, we desire the power of the Holy Ghost. However, I am of the opinion tonight that there are some misunderstandings about this power. See, we, play, we place great emphasis on what we see. And when we see Sister Sally shouting across the front, or we see Brother Bob boot scooting down an aisle, then we go, ooh, the power of God is in this place right now. And we equate the power of God with a Sunday night shout down. And we equate the power of God with goosebumps and hair standing up on our neck. And we equate the power of God with just a bucket and a snorting and a shouting. And we think when we lead that kind of service, we've got the power. We think when we leave that atmosphere, we're charged up. And we crave a Sunday night shout because that's where our batteries get charged. And you, you know how it is. I've been born and raised. In I've never seen anybody leave a crying service going, my God, you should have been there. We wept for 30 minutes and I snotted up five Kleenexes. Never heard it. Never. In fact, those kind of services rarely even get mentioned. It's more like, you didn't miss too much. But you come off a Sunday night throwdown and we're telling everybody, you should have been there. I mean, this guy hadn't moved in forever. And he finally got out there and shouted, we had church. And we think that a Sunday night throwdown is the source of the power. We think if we can cut a jig a certain way and we can do this, that that is where our batteries Get charged. Now, don't misunderstand where I'm coming from. I believe worship is essential. 
I believe there has to be times where the liberty of the Spirit steps in and we just get lost in the whole. I'm all for it. I will shout every Sunday night, every Sunday. I love it. I believe in it. But that is an expression of the power, not the origin of the power. It is a physical manifestation of an overflow on the inside. That is not where your cup gets filled. That is not where the anointing falls. That is not where the power falls. That's an expression. That's an outward display of an inner passion. But that's not where we go to get the anointing. That's not where we go to get charged up. That's not where we go to get The power doesn't just happen just because we're in church. The power doesn't fall just because we're present in that type of atmosphere. I'm convinced, Elder, there has to be a place of origin. There has to be a charging station. If you, we, we went to Cracker Barrel the other day, and it's the first time. Now, you know, I come from Westlake, okay? I'm getting out here in these big cities. And at Cracker Barrel, they had this electric car charging. I was so amazed. I couldn't stop thinking about it. You pull up to Cracker Barrel and you charge your car. One of them electric cars. That's what happened. There has to be a place where we get plugged in. There has to be a realm in God where we get our batteries charged. And we are partakers of a divine anointing that supersedes and goes beyond these walls. And it enables us to walk every day in a realm of power. Not just a shout, but every day in a realm of God-given power. And I'm convinced tonight that that power begins at an altar. It's not pretty. Nobody's running to them. But if you want to walk in the power of God, there has to be an altar in your life. Has to be. Has to be. Anywhere you go in the Bible, you're going to find an altar. Regardless of where you go, you will come across a point where there has to be an altar. A consistent theme of the Old Testament was altar building. And it was this singular action, this singular act that celebrated significant events of the Old Testament. Altar building was always directed towards the God of Israel. At times of joy, God's people built an altar. At times of sorrow, they built an altar. In times of victory and in times of defeat, they built an altar. When there was a need of repentance... They built an altar. When there was a celebration of God's faithfulness, they built an altar. Altars are symbolic of submission, repentance, humility, guidance. Noah built an altar upon exiting the ark, and the covenant from God came after the altar was built. Once Noah stepped out and started sacrificing, once he built an altar, it was then that the Lord said, 
I'm going to establish a covenant, Noah. It didn't precede the altar. It happened when Noah built an altar. Abraham built an altar when he arrived in the land God had sent him to. Then he built the ultimate altar to sacrifice his son Isaac on. Can I tell you that Abraham stepped into another dimension because he built an altar. Isaac was an altar builder. Moses raised an altar and called it Jehovah Nisi. Gideon built an altar. David built an altar on the threshing floor of Aramah the Jebusite. And on and on and on we can go. These men are noteworthy in Scripture. We know them because of their favor and because of their power. But can I tell you tonight that that favor and power did not start when they needed God to do something. But that favor and power started when they built an altar. We know of them today, not because of the great acts they did, but because of the altar that afforded them the opportunity to do those great acts. If it wouldn't have been for an altar, there never would have been things that we read about. Everything starts at an altar. Everything. Everything. In Ezekiel chapter 47, beginning with verse number 1 through 5, we see a a man with a measuring line. The Bible reveals to us four different dimensions. He goes to the ankles. He goes to the knees. He goes to the loins. And then finally he is in waters to swim in. We understand that this represents the depths of God's power. We understand that this could be the anointing. But but you, what, what I find amazing is where the water came from. In verse number 1, And the waters came down from under from the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Everything he measured, the depths of God's power, the depths of God's anointing, everything that we desire to walk in, it first flowed from an altar. Everything we desire, church, the revival that we preach about, the power that we dream about, it won't happen just because we soaked down a suit of clothes. It won't happen just because we gathered under a steeple. It's going to happen because we went to the source of the power, which is an altar. The source before we can operate in the fullness of God's power. We must first assess the condition of our altar. Everything we do starts at the altar. Before a note is hit, before they open their mouths and sing a song, before the preacher reads his text, everything begins at an altar. Our level of power is determined by the condition of our altars. You show me somebody who's not operating in the power of the Holy Ghost like God intended, I'll show you somebody whose altar is in disrepair. You show me somebody who's just coming to church and, and think that they're fulfilling God's plan for their life, I'll show you somebody who doesn't pray in the secret place. I'm not being judgmental, I'm being real. Just because we come to church does not afford us the opportunity to walk in that power. 
I'm reminded of the seven sons of Sceva who tried to operate in a dimension they were not familiar with. And what they say? Jesus I know. Paul I know. Why do I know them? Because they knew what an altar was. They had already operated in that dimension previous to this encounter. But there was somebody who wanted the fame and the notoriety of the power without the sacrifice to get the power. And I'm afraid that we have glamorized the power in the sense that everybody wants to operate in it. But they don't want to pay the price to get to that dimension in God. We hear stories from missionaries. We hear stories from evangelists. We hear stories from all these different people coming in. And we sit with wide eyes going, ooh, I would love to do that. But you don't want to pay the price that they had to pay to get there. I'm not saying you. I'm saying we. Because we have glamorized it. But we don't reveal the secret chamber where they earned that, where they stepped into a dimension. Their, Their altar was intact. In 1 Kings chapter number 18, we find that Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal. And he poses the question, how long halt ye between two opinions? We're going to settle this right now. If the God I serve truly is God, then he's going to answer by fire. And if the God that you serve is truly God, then let him answer by fire. But we're not leaving here today until we know who is God. And so he tells them, we're going to prepare a bullock. We're going to dress it the same way. We're going to put it on the altar. Don't put any fire under it. The God that answers by fire, he is going to be God. The Bible said that the prophets of Baal put their sacrifice on the altar. They called on their God. Nothing happened. All day passes by. Finally, they jump up on the altar and they leap and they shout. And they do their enchantments, yet still there is no response. In the process, they damaged their altar. It was in disrepair. And Elijah steps up and watch this. First thing he does in verse number 30, he calls on everybody and say, Come near unto me. He didn't call them. When the fire was fixing to fall and say, come watch this. Come watch us shout across the front. Come watch us dance everywhere. Come watch the fire of God fall of this. He didn't call them for that. He called them for the most important part of the whole miracle. He said, if you're going to see anything, if you're going to leave here with anything in your mind, I want you to remember what I'm fixing to do. He called them to watch him repair the altar. Why? Because everything starts with a proper altar. You can't operate in the dimension that you desire if your altar is in disrepair. He said, if you're going to watch anything, I want you to see. I'm sure there were little kids around. I'm sure those prophets were. I'm sure he had gathered a crowd. And all they were watching was him repairing an altar. But what they didn't know was that the fire falling was predicated upon the altar being intact. If the altar is not what it should be, 
then the fire will not fall like God desires. Everything begins. So he gets the altar in place. He repairs it. He puts it together. And he covers it with what he said, cover it three times. Poured water all over it. All over it. And we know the story. He calls on God. And God, fought, the fire falls down and consumed everything. Now, I, I, I want to draw a parallel, if you please. Notice the first thing. The altar was broken by influences that opposed his God. When you start entertaining things that oppose righteousness, when you start entertaining spirits or entertaining um, activities that are opposing the spirit of righteousness, it won't be long before those things are going to tear down your altar. It's going to damage the secret place. It's going to hinder your altar. Oh, it may not damage your shout, but it will damage your altar. Because we have learned how to shout like we're supposed to without praying like we're supposed to. When you start allowing things in your life, you say, well, it's not wrong. Well, if you spend more time doing it than you do with God, it's wrong. Bottom line, I don't care if it's hopscotch. If you spend more time doing hopscotch than you do with God, it's wrong. Not everything is a sin. But it can become a besetting sin. It can be something that overrides and overrules the power of your altar. That's where it's wrong. His altar was damaged by spirits or rather people or influences. That are, Can I tell you, you better be careful who you hang around. I just felt that. Longer. Be careful who you hang around with because they can damage your altar as well. You say, well, they're good people. Well, good. There's going to be good people in hell too. Pardon my bluntness, but I'm just being truthful. There, Cornelius was a good man, but he was lost. Good people can still damage your altar. You say, well, they're my friend. Well, be friends at a distance. You better put them under acquaintance instead of friend. Because your altar... It's the most important thing in your life. Everything we preach in this book begins at an altar. It doesn't begin up here. It doesn't begin with you shouting down bobby pins. It begins in your prayer closet with your eyes swollen from weeping so hard before God. That's not, I better hurry. I'm taking too much time. Your altar can be destroyed by pride. It can be destroyed by works of the flesh. It can be destroyed by self-will. I felt this in prayer, and I'm going to say it. Sometimes our self-will leads us into a realm where we're not submitted like we're supposed to, okay? Because our will rises above the will of the person we're supposed to be submitted to. That's self-will or selfishness. Jesus was everything but selfish. In fact, he was selfless. 
He didn't have a reputation to guard. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What's that mean? That means he would have, he would have been fine coming as a king the first time because he was God. But what he do? He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of men. He didn't have a reputation. And because he didn't have a reputation, he was selfless. That's the only way he could have endured the agony of the cross is because he wasn't worried about what people thought about him. He wasn't worried about what they're going to say. He was worried about doing the will of God. I wonder what church would be like if we got rid of our reputation and took upon us the mind of God where we didn't worry about who thought what, but we were worried about pleasing God. Self-will. It'll destroy your altar because you come to church bowed up. And when you're bowed up, you lash out. Praise the Lord. I didn't, I didn't want you to shout right there. I just wanted to say that. If you're lacking the power you desire, could it be that somewhere along the way your altar was damaged? Some think that the water was to show that God's power can move regardless of the circumstances. That he put the water on there to challenge the power of God. I don't believe that. What I think happened was he put the water on there to show that a proper altar can still attract God's power in spite of the circumstances. A proper altar. It can survive anything you put it through. It can still cause the power of God to fall even in adverse circumstances. Power of God. See, many people point to Pentecost as the outpouring of God's power. But I, this is my opinion. I believe it began an altar. And that altar was in the shape of a cross. Because the altar is where you die out to your will. You die out to your desires. You die, you, you die out to everything. See, you could have a Calvary without a Pentecost, but you can't have a Pentecost without a Calvary. You can have a Calvary. You can die out. If Pentecost would have never happened, Calvary was still in place. But you can never access the high of a Sunday night shout. You can never access the high of walking in the power of God until you first visit an altar. Everything begins at an altar. See, we pay great attention to our music. We pay great attention to our shout our worship, our buildings, and I'm thankful for all of it. I, I don't think any of us would want to go back to the days of Rush Harbors, although I was never there, but it sounds like it's almost torture. I don't think anybody would want to go back to that. But what I'm afraid has happened in some realms is we have put so much emphasis on the visible that we have neglected the invisible. And the invisible is the power of God. What nobody sees is greater than what they see. And just because they don't see you praying in your private closet doesn't mean you won't operate in the power of the Holy Ghost. I say we need more people in a prayer closet. We need more people in their private time.
time with God saying, God, give us revival. God, give us power. God, give us anointing. You can't measure anointing in decibels. Because I've seen people scream when they're preaching and they didn't have a lick of anointing. I've seen singers come up here and put on a show and God was nowhere in the building. You can't measure anointing in volume. I don't care how loud they get or how much talent they got. There's plenty of that without anointing. You know what? I went to a church last year. It was a small country church. In fact, it was the first church I ever preached on a Sunday, so it was almost two years ago. And I may have said this. I can't remember. This old lady, I say old lady. I'm not going to offend anybody. A lady older than me. Got up to sing. And, and, and pastor, I dare say, if we'd have been at a church of any size, she may have never been used. She wasn't one who was going to get pushed to the limelight. In fact, she got up there and she, she had a little more talent than me, which, you know. But when she opened her mouth, I knew she had been with the Lord. The Holy Ghost moved in that place. And she would close her eyes. And she had a twang in her speech. But honey, she had been with the Lord. And the Holy Ghost filled that place. And I said, God, give us more of that. I don't care how talented they are. You let them get bathed in the anointing. You let them have an altar. We need more people who know how to lay out before God at an altar. And say, God, let that power fall when he preaches. Let him step into another dimension when he preaches. You want revival? Get our altars intact. You want power in your family? Get your altar intact. You want to walk in the Holy Ghost? Get your No, You're not going to get credit for it. You're not going to get all the praise for it. But God's going to take note in heaven. And God is going to use you in a dimension like never before. Because there's power in a proper altar. I'm afraid we've got too many people that want to be superstars instead of servants. I'm not talking about just, you know, I'm talking, I've traveled a little while now. And there's more people that want a microphone when they really need a mop. Because he that is least among you. They don't want, Pastor. They don't get recognized if they're if they're in a prayer closet somewhere. They don't get recognized if they're not at the forefront. If they're up here doing all the stuff up here, then they get recognized. But honey, you give me somebody who, who wants to go to the back pew, under the pew, praying for an hour. I'll take that person who can't sing a lick over somebody who can hit the rafters with their notes and doesn't know how to pray. Pastor told me the story. You probably heard it. And I even asked him about it because I was so intrigued. He said he was in San Bernardino. Is that the name of a city in California? San Bernardino. Years ago. And Verbal Bean was coming for a revival. Some of our elders remember Verbal Bean. Great men of God. He said the place was packed out. He said everybody wanted to come hear Verbal Bean. He said that night he walked in. I guess there was a door off the side, but he walked in. When it was his time, he came to the pulpit. He looked around. 
pause for a little bit. He turned to the pastor. He said, Pastor, I'm sorry. These people aren't ready for revival. Walked out. Left. Next night, Brother Stanton went back. Place was full. Same thing. Walked to the pulpit. Pastor, I'm sorry. These people aren't ready for revival. Left. Third night. Comes to the pulpit again. He pauses. And in the background, you could hear a faint moaning of an elderly lady who had stayed from the night before and buried herself under a pew in the back of the church. And she had entered a realm of intercession with groanings that could not be uttered. And he said, Pastor, somebody's ready for revival. What happened? Somebody recognized the power of a proper altar. Friend, I'm so thankful for the talented. I'm thankful for everything that we see. But you give me somebody who's hunger for God, who says, Lord, what's my altar look like? I want to see what my altar looks like. I want to get on my face before God because that's where the power happens. Last year, talking to an elderly lady who pastored, her husband pastored for years and years, and her pastor went on, and we got to talking, and she said, you know, I remember when we would do tearing services. I'm so young. I'm not that young. But I said, ma'am, what is that? I've never been to one. She said, oh, we would come up to the church, and we would tarry in the presence of God. She said, we would pray and pray. We would sing. We would pray. Time didn't matter when you're tearing at an altar. She said, you know what? I can remember many of those services. People would be driving by. And they stopped and would come in and they said, something told me, I got to come in here. And they would get baptized. They would get full of the Holy Ghost. And they'd go on to live for God. Why? Because they cared more, cared more about what their altar looked like than if they shouted all night. Everything we do begins at an altar. One writer said this, the most embarrassing thing for an individual at the judgment seat will be the smallness of his praying. And I thought to myself, God, what am I going to do when I have to stand before you and give an account of what my altar looked like? He's not going to care how much I shouted. And I'm not against it. Please remember that. He's not going to care if I juked and jibed on a Sunday night for an hour. I can see him saying, Tyler. In fact, what if he pulls out a photograph as a metaphor? This is what your altar looked like. You want to know why you didn't operate in the power that you desired, Tyler? Let me show you how much time you spent at your altar. Let me show you how much self-will you still had because you wasn't willing to die at an altar. Church, hear me. My heart yearns now more than ever before for apostolic revival. But I am convinced it will not come in a shout. It will come through an altar. 
it'll come, Pastor, when we get on our face before God and say, give me revival lest I die. Stand with me all across this building. If you don't, if you don't hear one thing, you hear this. People who operate powerfully in public first operate prayerfully in private. The outward display of God's power and the level of intensity in which we operate is directly proportional to how much time we spend I'm not talking about a physical piece of furniture. I'm talking about that time we get on our face before God. And we say, God, I've got to decrease because you've got to increase. Revival's going to happen, greater life. Not because we sing the best songs. Not because we preach the most eloquent messages. Or not because we have a beautiful building. But it's going to happen when you get a passion and a burden to repair your altars. I wonder, is there anybody in this building God has talked to that you're willing to come down here and assess what your altar looks like? I wonder, mamas and daddies, if you're interested tonight in coming down and making some repairs to your altar. Oh, God. God, board by board, prayer by prayer. I'm going to put my altar back together, God.